Let's just pray before I share this word. Lord Jesus, I just come before you. And Lord, I just trust, Lord Jesus, as we share your word. We know, Lord God, that your word is very crucial to our lives. We know that the basis of our life is built on what you speak to us uh, in, in a sense specifically, but also what you speak to us in understanding your will through the scripture. So Lord, as I share this morning, I just pray that our eyes of our heart would be opened We'd be able to perceive what you're saying and be able to apply it to our lives and gain understanding into this wonderful book that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Revelation steadily through the last couple of days. And we saw that the first, actually last couple of days, last couple of weeks. And the first introduction that we had and the first part of Revelation, which was Revelation 1, Right up to Revelation 3, uh, we learned a couple of principles. And the first principle that we learned was really how to, dis- how, to di- how to discern Scripture and how the book of Revelation is written. And that it is often written in deliberate symbolism. In other words, uh, Jesus appears in different forms to communicate different things. And today we're going to highlight that again. All right, But the first, part, the first three chapters are to do with Jesus and his church mainly. And now we move on to the next section, all right? And we know that the importance of church, the book of Revelation is about history up until this point, all right? And we know that before history unfolds, Jesus came to save and seek and save the lost, which he drew together to form the church. And so church, in the, in the formation, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the pattern of history, is of first importance, as we've seen. All right, Ephesians 3.10 says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And that's why the first thing that we see in the book of Revelation is to do with the church. Well, that's amazing. All right, so if anybody says, well, I don't see the importance of church, you tell them, go read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and you'll see the importance of the church. And church is very important. All right, so let's go on to Revelation 4, and we're going to go to 1 to 3. All right, and we're going to just read that. Revelation 4, 1 to, the, 1 to 3 says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. So I'm just going to unpack the Scripture step by step. So the Scripture says here what must soon take place after this. You'll see that down there. I should have underlined it. All right. Now that if you actually had to uh, read the original script... It says after that, but what it's meaning is, it says, is accompanying this. And, and why I think it is important that it says what must take place accompanying this is that the book of Revelation begins with Jesus' entrance into the world. All right? It doesn't begin at some small time at the beginning, at the end of history. It actually begins with Jesus when Jesus came. And that the whole of end times refers to a period of time. And we'll see that because maybe some of you now, you've probably maybe have read some books and that and maybe thought, well, 
when it speaks, revelation is only by a small little time at the end of history, when in actual fact it's not. It is a, re a recording of history. All right, And there is in the book of Revelation a period of time right at the end of history, which we will come to. All right, So that's what it's about. All right, Some things have already taken place even at the time of this writing that are written in the book of Revelation, and that's why accompanying is a good word. Okay, um, And the purpose of this book is to show John the end times. That's the purpose of it. So it's the purpose, that, that's why this revelation was given to John, was so that he could see what was going to be happening till the end of time. Let's see. Now, why does God do this? When, if we look at all Scripture that has to do with future events in the Old Testament, and there are a number of them, uh, very particularly... The prediction of Jesus' birth, all right, and when Jesus was come, actually was recorded in the book of Daniel. And it was recorded with such accuracy that if somebody was actually determining the times and the dates, they could actually work out exactly what time Jesus would come. Exactly. The time frame is there. But what we see in the Old Testament and what we know from history is that people don't really understand the present time from the history, only after it is revealed. So the, when Jesus writes, when the word is written, when a revelation is given by God, we may not fully understand it until everything is completed. So when Jesus came, and you would see this in when he, he rose from the dead and he was on the Emmaus Road, if you go and read the Bible and see that on the Emmaus Road, he's walking along with some of his disciples. They don't recognize who he is. And he starts to unfold the scripture and teach them why this actually had to happen. And all of a sudden, their eyes were open. Oh, this is what that scripture means. So why is Scripture given and people don't understand it before the, its fulfillment? Is because this is about God. It's not about us discerning exactly when it's going to happen. It's about God. And a lot of things that actually come to pass, and we will come to understand at the end of the age, we can go and say, oh, God had the plan and it was going to happen and nothing was going to stop it. God is amazing. So it's the focus and attention is on the Father, on God. All right, It's a confirmation of His glory when we look back in its fulfillment. All right, So, here we go. So, this scripture, the, what we see from this last scripture, and I'm going to go in and, and do, this is, it tells us first how revelation comes to be. All right? And this is very important because we, we, when we deal with revelation or a prophetic word, or how God speaks to us, it's important to know how He does it. And so today, I'm going to try and help us sort of discern how God actually speaks through what we've just read before. If I can get back to there. I could possibly get back to there. Let's go. So we see this over here, Revelation. What happens with John? After this, I looked and I saw there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And then... And then he hears a voice, and then he's in the Spirit. So just remember that as we go into 
the how revelation is received. Revelation is received this way. All right? God talking to us, or what we would refer to prophecy, often has three elements in it, three keys. Now, you've seen those three keys. I've just given given them to you there. Picture God's voice and the Holy Spirit. So what happens in the book of Revelation, and this often happens in terms of God speaking to us, it is... It is a rule of thumb in discerning the word of the Lord, but it's not a rule. God doesn't have to do it this way. And at times, He doesn't do it this way. But a lot of times, He actually does that. He gives us a picture. Then He speaks. And then there's a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in what is being said. So that is important in terms of discerning what, how God actually speaks. All right? So in this, we see an open door. A picture is a powerful tool that God uses. Jesus continually used used parables to describe things that were of the kingdom, didn't he? He painted a picture for them. Pictures are very, very powerful. They leave you with a sense of what has actually happened. And then he speaks to us, and then there's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when I say the presence of the Holy Spirit... We learn as we mature as believers that when something is given, I know this from discerning in my own life, something's given, a picture or whatever, and I feel God speaking to me, but there has to be the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, which is a sense of weight, a sense that it stays with you, a sense that, you know, there is something of a reality. Here, here, here let's do another. If you perhaps we can see this in another verse. Peter. Picture, Acts 10, 10 to 11 to 19, says this. He became hungry. Peter was staying at somebody's house. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all sorts of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice, the voice of the Lord, said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. While Peter was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are here looking for you. So this is, in this, and this was a very important, script, very important act on God's behalf because they weren't going to the Gentiles. They were only going to the Jews. But now God says, listen, what I've made clean, don't call unclean. And this was the specific application of this word or this picture. Now God could have just, Done that by just saying to him, listen, Peter, I want to sit down. I want to talk to you. You guys need to go to the Gentiles. And this is what, why didn't he do that? Because God speaks through pictures. A while ago, I mean, actually, I preached on this when I was in South Africa. Because it was quite a powerful picture. Prince had a picture. And the picture he had was of Jesus. He didn't see his face speaking to him and saying, come up here and sit with me on my throne. Okay, so now he shared that scripture, he shared that impression, and he said, I only thought it was for me. Okay, so after he had shared that with me, what starts to happen? I'm just indicating what happens because this is important for us in terms of discernment of what God is saying. So what happens with, with me in my interaction is I continue on with what he's communicated to me. But I can't get it out of my head. 
It's there. It's sitting. So in other words, there's a weight. Because sometimes we can get a picture. When I, when I say to you guys, this is how God speaks, you know, many times you're going to come up and you're going to fail. well, God's given me a picture or God's given me something. You don't just say, okay, well, that's what he's given me. Let me do it. There, there has to be weight on it. That's how I usually discern, is that there is a weight of the Spirit on it. That's the only way I can describe it. There's a sense of it staying with me. So it stays with me. All right, it stays with me, it stays with me. At the prayer meeting, we're praying, and I just feel like, Prince, you must share this word. You must share this prophetic word. As he shares this, a scripture drops into my head. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. All right, that's a scripture. Now, it's important, the scripture there, because scripture actually backs up what comes after that. Then I heard what I believe is the Father's voice through the Spirit in my heart saying, my people are concentrating on footstool promises and not throne room promises. They're concentrating on what's earthly and what not instead of what is eternal. That's what the voice comes and it's like that. So now I get the picture. That's what God is saying. All right? But it often takes time to get to that point. So it is very crucial that we understand the way that God works. Why? And the way that he reveals it. Because it helps us in discerning what God is saying to us. Does that help? Does it help you? My hope is it helps you. All right? It helps you understand, actually, this is the way that God is speaking to me. And my, my hope... Let me go back. Before I go there. My hope is that you get this. And that you use it. I mean, we want to be a prophetic household. And what does that mean? It simply means that we want to be people that actually hear from God. We don't want to be people that live in a revelation that has been. Uh, we believe that, this, that, that God is alive and that He speaks today. And that He wants to speak to each one of us and give us specific direction for our lives. And a lot of time we're too busy to listen. Or perhaps we don't know how to listen. So I, that's why I'm giving you this key. I believe it's an important key to help you in understanding what God wants you to do. So if God gives you a picture, I mean, it often happens that He gives you a picture. Sit on that picture and say, God, when you're asking Him for advice, when you're asking Him for direction, ask God to reveal something to you. I mean, we know even from a practical thing in, in business, people will tell you this. Write out a vision. What are they saying? Write out a picture. Give us a picture. People need a picture in order to lead them. All right? A revelation. The Bible says without revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, there is no picture, no vision, no future. That's why it is important to live with this kind of thing. And now we're speaking about a specific thing here, but it's a general principle that I think is important. And it helps us also to discern the way that God is speaking to us for other people. You know? Does that help? I hope it helps you because it's important for us. It's important for us to learn and discern the voice of the Lord. Okay, let's go on to the next scripture or the next slide. The second thing that is helpful for the discernment of true revelation is who is central to the revelation. This is absolutely cru crucial because for many people, 
They don't understand who is supposed to be central to the revelation that is given. So let's have a look. Let's go on. So John gets invited up. Uh, the Lord speaks to him, come up here, open door, come up here. Holy Spirit enables him to get there. And then we have a Revelation 4, 2 to 3. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. What a picture. And just to be sure, I've got those little, it's, it's very difficult to depict God, and I don't think that he really wants to be depicted. That's why he speaks in different pictures of who he is. He cannot be confined to a single picture. That's why he forbids graven images, because that confines him. So he says, don't make, a, make any kind of image of heaven or, you know, because it confines him. And as much as I love art and love the art of history, when it starts to depict heaven, all right, it is limited. It is limited, even if when they say it exactly as it is, because God cannot be confined to one single picture. He is amazing. Now, I use those reds and that sort of thing because Carnelian and Jasper are a mixture of red and orange. So you know that the picture here is more of like a fire that God is revealing himself as. You know, not gentle, but like, you know, I can't, we can't even imagine. You know, the Bible says that no eye has seen nor behold him. You can't behold him and live. You know, he is indescribable as we will see. But here's the picture that we get. All right. So the first section that we've just been through with John, who is, who is uh, John confronted with? The first picture that he has when he has a revelation, who does he see? Jesus Christ. So in the first section, central person, Jesus Christ. Now we get the next picture. Who's central? The Father is central. Very important. So this second section, the first thing John sees is the Father. Now there are three things that are very important in the scripture that we want to just highlight, or I just want to highlight. Firstly, there is a throne. All right? And there before me was a throne. All right, we'll get to that. The second, there is a person. And the one sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. All right? And the third thing that's important is his appearance. So those three things come from the Scripture. Now, you wouldn't normally do this if you were reading through your Bible to try and unpack this. That's why I'm here. And the first thing that we, we see speaks about, when we speak about a throne, we speak about authority. Now that scripture, that, uh, that, um, that, that uh, word that uh, Prince had about us being seated with Jesus in heavenly places. So, uh, that, uh, we, we spoke about it in the book of Revelation. It speaks in one of the churches. It says, I will give him, he will, I'll give him the right to sit on a throne with, myself, my, with me and my father. This is, a, this is about authority. Throne is about authority. You know that. I mean, we've, we, we're in a wonderful age where we can go to movies. And we can see what it looks like to be in a throne room with a king on a throne. And when you see a king on his throne, if you've watched any movies that are related, everybody knows that that throne is about authority. 
It's about authority. So you, we can't get away from this fact that authority is a very important aspect of the actual whole picture of re, the book of Revelation. And it unfolds. There has to be an unfolding of authority. Remember Jesus said before he went to the cross, he says, Never, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So the throne room is about the authority of God, about the will of God, about the ways of God, about God being in control and God actually achieving his purpose. And us as human beings will either fit in or fit against. But he will, through his authority, achieve what he's going to achieve. And our job is to do what Jesus said is, not my will, but thy will be done. And that begins, a lot of people when they come to Jesus, they put up their hand. They said, because people say, well, you know, if you want eternal life, then just give your life to Jesus. All right? Well, the, what they don't tell people, and this is where you have to understand, is that I relinquish my right to the throne room of my life when I invite Jesus into my heart. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Can you switch it up a bit? Sorry, Caleb, so that I can just go a little bit further. That's better. Not my will, but thy will be done. So when we give our life to Jesus, we surrender the throne room of our life. We do what Jesus did and says, not my will, but thy will be done. Does that make sense? All right. So we living, living one's life with the acknowledgement of the Father being on the throne means not my will, but thy will be done. All right. Secondly, if Jesus wasn't, uh, that we see from here, if Jesus was not shown, as those scriptures says, no one knows about the day, that day, speaking about the day, because everybody was expecting a day. Because there is a day, a day of judgment, a great and terrible day of the Lord. The expectation of the whole Old Testament and the expectation of the whole New Testament is that there will be a culmination point in our future which is the day of the Lord, a great and terrible day of the Lord. That we'll, that it's, if you go back out of the scripture, it says that the sun was darkened and the moon no longer shine. A great and terrible day awaits. It'll be a great day for those who are in Christ. It'll be a terrible day for those who aren't. It's a great and it's a terrible day. So there's this expectation. These disciples have these expectations that there is a day in the future that we're all are going towards. All right? But then, and then they ask Jesus about it. I mean, after all, Jesus is the Son of God. When is that going to happen? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be a few days from now? When is that going to be happen? And Jesus says, no one knows the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And again, after he's risen from the dead and is glorified, they ask this question again. And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority. That's the throne room of God. He has authority to do what he does. And by his own authority, he does it. So when people come to you and say, this is when it's going to happen. There will be a day. I've worked it out. It's coming December 12, 2040, that's when I've calculated. You say to them, you're talking absolute rubbish. God, Father didn't show Jesus. He's not going to show you. All right? doesn't matter how much you try and prove to me from the scripture that it happened. You can't tell. There's no one can tell that day. No one knows. 
All right, that God is set by his own authority. And I want to say this because this is important when we're going through the book of Revelation. A lot of people want to know about that day and hour. And lots of books have been written and people go off, I including myself, have gone off on rabbit trails to try and determine the exact day and hour. And you can't. Trust me. I've spent many hours trying to find that out. Only coming to the conclusion that I know very little. And even when it speaks about the three and a half years or X amount of days, you don't know if it's days or you don't know if it's years. Okay? You, you've got to realize that actually we don't know that much. And when somebody tells you that they do, be very careful because they're going to send you on a rabbit trail that you're going to have, that's going to consume your mind until such time as you realize, oh, hang. Okay, I don't know. Okay? Trust me, I've seen many people go through that. All right. There is a throne with the Father on it, and that day and hour are under His authority and not our own. It will come, but we don't have to worry about that day or hour. We're going to be with Jesus one way or the next. Whether we die early or whether He comes back, it doesn't matter. For us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You know, if you're going to be with, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If we're there, if, if He comes before we actually go to be with Him, all good and well. If we don't, and I know when I was a young Christian, all I was thinking about, I don't want to die, I want to go rapture. All right? That would be a phenomenal way to do it. Don't have to avoid death. You know, we don't want death. But, uh, you know, most of us are not going to avoid this. It's going to happen. Right, so that's what, we, that's what we see. This is about the throne room of God, and we must remember that. This is about Jesus. It's about God, the Father. All right. So we go back to the Scripture again, and we see that the focus is on the Father. Whenever we read through the book of Revelation, there are three people that always come up. And not people as in we understand it, but persons. Either God the Father, either God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. Those three, all the time, throughout Scripture, throughout the book of Revelation, we just see them being central to what everything is doing. Even when it's focused, we've seen, we've seen Jesus speaks to the church, and he says, he who is here, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. He who is in here. So Jesus is speaking, but then what is the Holy Spirit? So we see this continually through the book of Revelation, this focus or this I don't even know, want to call it a focus. The, abs that the, the centrality of the Godhead is very, very real throughout the book of Revelation. Okay? And that's important for us to know. All right? Why is that important to know? All right? When focus of attention of any prophecy is on a person other than God, a thing or an event, it becomes tainted. Understand that. Let me read that again. When focus of attention of any prophecy is on a person other than God, a thing or an event, it becomes tainted. How many cults have led countless people astray because the focus is not in the Godhead? And whenever that happens... People are led astray that they even start to deny the presence of one of the Godhead or some of the Godhead. 
There's cults today that don't believe that there is a Father and that there is a Spirit. There's just one, and that's Jesus. It's a cult. Completely incorrect. There's some that believe in the Father, but believe that the Son, Jesus, is an angel. Like anybody else. Mormons, that's what they believe. There's some, like the Jehovah's Witness, that cannot fathom the Holy Spirit. Why? And there is a tremendous focus on future events in these, in these, uh, in these cults. But they miss those, the essential ingredients of the Godhead, which Revelation is full of. So that's how we discern. So you say to me, okay, Kirk, are you going to expose this cult and this cult and this cult? Yeah, well, I can try and expose those things. If you came to me, we could go and study them. All you have to do is to, to discern it is, is the Godhead present? Is the Godhead central? If it isn't, we must be careful. All right? This is a true test of, of any revelation a person has. All right? So when books are written on prophecy and dreams or even after death accounts of heaven, is God the focus? I mean, somebody asked, asked about that question in regards to actually after-death experiences that people have had. And I don't want to deny people's experiences of after-death, but we must be very careful. Is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, central? And when I mean central, are they exalted? Because when you see this scripture here, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. We're confronted straight away with God. To the extent that we're in awe. You know, there's one thing when God reveals himself. Everything else in our life is pushed aside. We are Filled up with that vision alone. It's a very important aspect of prophecy. And understanding and discerning prophecy. A person, John, is not the focus. Because a lot of times in prophecy, people want to be the focus. Alright? And we must be careful when giving or receiving a word that the person is not the focus. Now, this is hard because God can speak to you about encouraging a people, a word of encouragement. But I want to tell you with a word of encouragement, be very careful that the person doesn't become central to the word that you're giving them. You're going to say, but how does that work? Well, always think when you're bringing a word for somebody or receiving a word, how has this got to do with God? How has it got to do with God? what God wants, how God is going to be exalted. Very, very, very important. All right? When a person is left feeling exalted, it is very destructive. It's very destructive to the person. We think it's good. But this is what the world does, and it's not really that helpful. You know, when people, the world is full of people that are going to tell you, 
Man, you can achieve the impossible. You can be the master captain of your own destiny. You can be the one that is like this amazing person. And many people believe that they are going to be that person. But, you know, it's an exalted position that everybody wants. And not everybody can be exalted in that position. Who remembers the person that came second? I mean... So they only come, if you look 100 meters, they come second by a split second. I mean, they, they're just as, almost as fast as the fastest person in the world, but do you remember their name? No. Because you see, in our day, the, we, we exalt people. And so th- we must be careful and prophetic that we don't exalt people. Because it's not good for them. Always remember, where is the God element in this? Where is Jesus being exalted in this? All right? Important. Okay? Now, I don't want you to feel bad or stop giving words now, hey? All right? Because now you're going to be scared. I don't want that to happen. I want you to think about this. Think about it before you give a word to somebody, a word of encouragement, to say, how am I going to give that word of encouragement so that God can be exalted? Just think about it before you give it to them. That's what I would say. When God is left exalted in a prophetic word, a person's sense of being special and loved is long-lasting and completely satisfying. You know, when we worship here today, we're going to get to worship next week when we see worship happening. Worship is about God. In essence, when we worship God, self disappears. Our sense of, of, of focus on us completely disappears and our focus and attention goes on to God. And when that actually happens, guess what happens? You and I feel more loved and more special than anything in the earth. More loved and more special because the focus and attention is on God. And when God is the focus of attention because He's the only one that can actually receive worship, How do I know that? Well, I grew up with the people that were exalted, the musicians that were exalted, you know, the Beatles, the BGs, although they weren't that exalted. Elvis Presley. And then a numerous other people that have come along. And I want to tell you something. Those people received praise that belongs to God alone. And has destroyed their lives. They might be rich, but that's all they have. You see the life is destructive as hay. You must watch some of those documentaries. I like the Eagles. I think the music is good. You go and watch that documentary on those people. And the destructive forces that are involved in it. It's because God is the one that we must be exalting. When he is central to our exaltation and not us, then we feel completely satisfied. Completely. But when a person is left exalted, it leaves a temporary fix and a lasting emptiness, which is only filled by the next ego-boosting word. That's what happens. I, I, I'm exp- I have experience. Over years, I've seen it. Where people, they go off, they get some kind of word, 
And they come out there feeling elated. Oh, God's going to do this amazing thing with me. I'm going to be in this position and this is what's going to be happening. And oh, hallelujah, this is going to be fantastic. And then the days go by and the months go by and the years go by. Didn't happen quite the way that they felt. Guess what happens? Okay, I've got to get to the next fix. Where am I going to get the next word from? That's because they are central to this thing. Now, God wants to encourage us through words. We must never, that word that came this morning, that was a wonderful word. I love that scripture. That was a word of encouragement for us. But who was central in that word? God, wasn't he? When I'm with you, if I only have you, then I'm completely satisfied. God's the one that's exalted in there, not the individual. So we must remember that in discerning what is good for us and what isn't good for us. All right. Does that make sense? Okay, last piece. And this, I don't know how to get into, but that is the appearance of the one who sits on the throne. And, I mean, some of you probably have seen Leo Giglio's videos on indescribable God. When we look, why is it like it is when we see God in this way, like Cornelian and Jasper and an emerald? Because he's indescribable. We cannot describe him. You know, it's interesting that John uses this and the one who sat there had the appearance. Why does he use the one who sat there? Why doesn't he say, and God sat there, and his appearance was like this? You know, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even use, when they wrote the word God, they'd put a hyphen in between the, the O and the D, because God was too holy to have his name written. Nowadays, the Bible refers to him with a small h. And now you say, well, shouldn't that, is that wrong? I say, well, it's not wrong. But unfortunately, what starts to happen is this familiarity with God the Father that actually loses who he actually is, the exalted one, the one who lives in unapproachable light, the one that, that when we are confronted with, all we want to do is worship. And if we don't, we'll fall dead. That's who he is. He's indescribable. So even though John, it would seem, and the one who sat on the throne. I mean, he even refers to Jesus like that, who he knew. You know, and one, and you see him as he pictures Jesus. Uh, and the picture, you know, who his hair is white as wool, eyes are blazing fire. And he has the sash, golden sash, burnished bronze legs. He, he was describing somebody that was Jesus. But different because he had a sense of the exaltation of the father and there is a sense that sometimes today are familiar and we must be familiar with the father we must jesus said my father himself loves you god loves us he absolutely loves us think about it this person that you're confronting with you've confronted with the one who sat there appearance of jasper and cornelian i mean you watch movies. If you've watched the last Avengers movie, and 
You see, let me tell you. <laughs> what they are trying to do is they are trying to depict something, in my opinion, of what heaven is like without knowing it in an ungodly way. But that's why it describes God without being able to actually put a specific. He's like this. Because our familiarity mustn't lead us into disrespect. As it did with the people in the Old Testament. The, the Jew, they were familiar with the Father. They were familiar with God and they treated Him with disrespect. And that disrespect led them to disobey. And to follow their own way. Well, God will just be there for us. Now, we need to live with a picture of the exalted God. This, read this scripture. You know, you, you, when we read a scripture and meditate on this, meditate on it. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting in this. Just amazing. Can you imagine seeing that? I mean, the movies are trying to get close to this, being able to portray this. That's what, one thing I love about a movie that's descriptive or is full of color in that is that, wow, this is getting close to what it's going to look like in heaven. And that's what God wants, wants for us to see. That's what John is doing here. It'll be so much more than we expect. But that, who's the, that is the Father. He's indescribable, even though John is trying to describe him. And I want to encourage you to get a picture of the Father like that. You know, get a picture of the Father like that. Being exalted, being indescribable. You know, when we sit with God and we worship Him, He fills us up with who He is. Don't let us get into the place of familiarity where we see the Father as something less than who He really is. I just want to encourage us in that. So I'm not going to go any further. That's where I'm going to stop. That's what I want to leave you with those things. Leave you with how to discern the word of the Lord. How do you discern it? God will give you a picture. God will speak to you, and there will be a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. All right? When we look at, at, at what God wants, we see what, what happens here. There are three things that are important. The throne room, throne, which speaks of God's authority. The second is his, is, is, uh, is his appearance. No, the second one was... Throne room. The second is the importance of who we are exalting. God is central. And the third thing is his appearance. Those three things. Fill your mind with that. I think what, uh, what uh, worship does, and that new song, I can only encourage you to go and listen to that new song on YouTube if you can. His grace will lead me home. These are pictures. When I listen to those words, that's why, why worship, is so important and the writing of worship is so important and the words of worship are so important because they describe our indescribable God and give us a picture and a vision of Him so that we can worship Him. Amen. Let's pray. I just want to take a moment now because I feel like that some of you God has spoken to before but have not taken what He's spoken to you seriously. And I don't want you to try and look for things, but as I was speaking, if something came up where God reminded you of a picture that he's given you, that perhaps you didn't meditate on and discern, I feel like the Lord's saying you must go back there. That's what I feel.
You must go back there and just try and unpack it. Say, Lord, what was that picture that you gave me? For some of you here, you've been focused so much on your personal life. It's either pleasures, it's possibilities, or it's pain. But you've been focused on those things. And it has filled your vision so there's no space for our indescribable God to be in that picture. And you think you're going to fix your life by looking at those things that have caused pain or causing pleasure, or whatever it is. You think you're going to be able to sort those things out by actually concentrating on them. And I feel like the Lord is saying, sweep that aside right now. Focus your attention on me and not yourself. And guess what will happen? Change will come. I, and I feel that strongly. I feel that a strong word. Some people here focus so much on themselves that there is no space for a vision of God. And God is just saying, just sweep that stuff aside and, and let me fill you with a vision of who I am. And over the next couple of days, instead of concentrating on, as I said, those P's that I said, pleasure, pain, purpose, possibilities, all those things, just move them away. Just say, like, I'm going to forget about those. God, I want you to fill me with a vision of you. And this is how he's going to do it. I'm just going off the cuff here. I mean, I, 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 I showed a picture of paintings. So some of you maybe are more creative. Maybe you need to go and spend some time in an art gallery. <laughs> strange, but that's what's coming to me. You need to forget about trying to fix your problems. Just go to the art gallery. And just go and sort of meditate on some of the awesomeness of creativity that you see out of there. It may be to do with nature. Maybe you haven't been out in nature for a while. Maybe you've just been stuck in your house and you're trying to sort things out. And God is saying, right, just spend some time with me out where you can see my creativity. See what I am doing. Get a picture of me. And that will help to fill you. Now don't do it just for pleasure. Because we can do any of those things for pleasure. Do it with a specific purpose of saying, God, reveal yourself to me. A revelation of the Father will sort out 80% of all your problems. You know that. There's a, there's a song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's a, it's a song about filling your vision with, with God. And we need to know how to do that for ourselves. So that we can fill our hearts and our lives and our minds with a vision of God. I can guarantee you, you do that. And you'll be a whole lot better at the end of this week.
when you come here. I can guarantee it. Fill your heart and your mind with a vision of God. However that works for you. Because different people it works differently with. I know what works for me in terms of filling my heart with the vision of God. You must know, have those special places where what you do fills you with a vision of God. And when you're filled with a vision of God, things that you could not work out actually start to work themselves out. You don't have to work them out. They seem to come together because you're filled with a vision of the Father. I mean, the, 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 the absolute deception of the enemy is to focus us and fill us with a vision of what is temporal and passing. And the focus of every angel and the Holy Spirit himself is to fill us with a vision of what is lasting and eternal. Be filled with that vision. Be filled with that vision. Some of you even now, I think have been arrested. Your mindsets have been arrested. And I'm not trying to say this and then you do it. I'm saying, I just sense that's what maybe some of you do. And hold on to it. Don't let it go. Leave this place. Don't let it go. Just hold on to that. And, and commit to it. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for every person here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill every single person in this room with a vision of the Father. That they will go away focused on you and filled with you and filled with a vision of you. Just as like Abraham, you took him out and you said, look at the sky. See how many stars there are. Look at the sand. Pictures. See, God uses picture. Because the pictures speak of something else. They speak of that which is spiritual. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bless you guys. Some of you are going to go to the art gallery. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>